This is the Shift Podcast. Thanks for checking out the Shift Daily Podcast. On this episode, we learned 10 fun facts about the great nation of Latvia, as their hockey team recently beat Team Canada at the World Championships for the first time ever. Lead producer of The Jill Bennett Show on 980 CKNW in Vancouver, Ben Dooley, joins me for a conversation about representation of physically disabled people in media and how we can do better. And is laughter really the best medicine? Second City instructor Cameron Algy joins the show to discuss their online program called Improv for Anxiety and how it changed his life could possibly change yours. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date on all the things that are happening on The Shift. Here's an interesting story, and I think it's an adorable story more than anything. But right now, aside from playoff hockey being played at the NHL level, the International World Hockey Championships are also being played in Latvia, which is great because the fact that you know a hockey tournament like this, which is an annual tradition, of course, uh, can, can be played uh, in a different part of the world. It's all things that we should be happy about, excited about, and celebrate, even if you're not the biggest hockey fan. Just the fact that it's happening is a thing to celebrate. Friday, yesterday, or technically, I guess, uh, earlier earlier today, depending on where you live, Team Canada, opening game, lost to Latvia, the home country. Now, this is historic for a couple of different reasons. One, Canada had never lost to Team Latvia before. They were entering that game on Friday with an undefeated record of 11-0 against Team Latvia. Two, this I believe is the third straight year where Team Canada loses the opening game of the tournament. Now, this doesn't mean Canada has been eliminated. It's just the opening game. But it's become a bit of a tradition, and I actually didn't know this myself. But when the World Hockey Championships are being played, it's apparently a bit of a tradition to leave flowers at the other country's embassy whenever you have victories. So today, or again on Friday, the Canadian ambassador in Latvia went and got a bouquet of flowers and put it outside his own embassy in Latvia as a way of congratulating Team Latvia. And ever since he shared this on social media, uh, the Latvian news circulation picked it up. And to this point, this little tribute has grown to a massive level. Latvians have dropped off their own bouquet of flowers. Um, They are celebrating like it's the gold medal game. Because for Team Latvia, a tiny little country in Eastern Europe, you know, for them to beat Canada, even if it's not the championship game, this means the world for them. So with that in mind, to say thank you to the great people of Latvia, and I like to believe that the shift is the number one late night program in Latvia. Here are 10 fun facts about Latvia that you did not know. And I'll start with number one. The Latvian flag is one of the oldest in the entire world. Latvia might have only been founded in 1918, but its flag dates back to 1279. 1279. Wow. I'm not, I'm not making that up. Their flag is that old. Wow. So that's a pretty cool fact. Number two, Latvia is among the world's greenest countries. Over half of their territory is literally covered with forests, and one-fifth of the country 
comprises of protected nature areas. Now, again, Mm -hmm. the country is not terribly large, which means percentage-wise, it's a little easier to get a title like that. But it is a green and beautiful country. When people think Eastern Europe countries, you know, we often make this stereotype like, oh, it's Siberia. Like everything is Siberia once you get past Poland or something, right? But that's not true at all. There's so many beautiful places in that region of the world, and Latvia happens to be one of them. The capital city of Latvia is called Riga, R-I-G-A. And in Riga, roosters sit atop church towers. I don't know why, they just do. And it's one of their classic trademark icons. Whenever you get a photo of uh, a nice, beautiful church in Riga, chances are there's going to be a rooster on top of it. One of those things. In a different place in Latvia called Kuldiga, you can actually catch flying fish. There is something oh. called the Venta Rapid. Yeah, I know. Like this is like Latvia is really cool. Yeah. Uh, there's a place called the Venta Rapid, and it's the wildest waterfall in all of Europe. And it's a place where fish literally fly. So if you want to look up a really like first of all relaxing video of nature, but also see videos of fish flying, uh, check it up for yourself. Just I guess YouTube Latvia flying fish. Chances are you'll find it eventually. Number five, ice hockey is their most popular sport, and I think this is why we admire this particular story is because we don't know much about Latvia. Let's be honest. We, we, we don't know much about this country, but they like us celebrate hockey. Like it's their game. Now, of course, hockey is Canada's game. Let's be completely clear here, but we allow Latvia to celebrate it as their number one sport. Heck yeah. We appreciate that. Here's a really interesting fact. Brendan. Yes. Lat- Latvian women are the tallest in the world on average. Really? Now, what is the average height then? Height? Yeah. The average height of women in Latvia has been measured at five foot seven. Wow. Okay. Which is like, yeah. you know, like, it's not like they're Amazon women and like yeah, six yeah. foot five, yeah. right? But five foot seven as an average, which means, you know, there's going to be certainly people that are taller, but not as many people that are often shorter. And I think. That's just really cool. Like, is it in their water? Is it the flying yeah. fish that they eat? I don't know, but it's just, it's fact. Uh, another thing here, Latvians, I guess this is number seven. Latvians love to sing and dance. So if you ever want to have a good, fun party post-COVID, go and find yourself your local Latvian in your community. They will show you how to have a good time. And all you need is a little bit of music and a dance floor. It's beautiful. Number eight. I'm doing like Tourism Latvia a huge favor right now. I expect this show to be sponsored by Snapple and all of Latvia at some point. Uh, Number eight, Latvia is home to the first Christmas tree. This one, I think, will be a little bit controversial. But they have decided, or somebody has decided, that Latvia, the first decorated Christmas tree on record, was one set up in Riga back in the year 1510. At that time, yeah, people adorned it with straw ornaments, ribbons, dried flowers, and weave. And then, of course, as Latvians love to do, they sang and danced around the tree. It's been recorded. So if anyone can find uh, an example of a Christmas tree being set up earlier than 1510, you let me know. Because this show is all about facts. Uh, Number nine, their biggest celebration of the year is not what, like, okay, let me, before I dive into this. Brendan, if I had to ask you, what is Canada's biggest celebration of the year? I think we all know the answer, right? 
Uh, well, our biggest celebration, like as far as on, a, on an annual basis, yeah, a like uniquely if it's like a big, national one, or just right? Uh, oh, just like like the, the one day of the entire year, every year that Canadians love to celebrate. Oh, I guess that would be Canada Day, right? Wouldn't that exactly, be? Yeah. right? Like you would think, like ah, oh, July one, Canada Day, we get to celebrate our beautiful country, say happy birthday. We uh, wear red, we wear white, we sing Oh Canada, we do all these things. So you would anticipate, like, okay, so the biggest celebration of the year in Latvia has to be, like, Latvian Day. No, 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 no. The biggest celebration of the year in Latvia is summer solstice. Oh, I like that. Right? Like, I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, look, I'm not disrespecting the way that Canada Day is celebrated because it's always a lot of fun. Like, here in Vancouver, we usually have fireworks. The celebration of lights, they're not happening. It hasn't happened in two years now because of COVID, but I digress. In Latvia, they're just like, nah, Forget all that. That's maybe too political, too boring. Summer solstice is when they just literally go out onto the beaches, create bonfires, and yes, guess what? They do the other thing that they love to do, which is sing and dance. Yeah. See, (laughs) I think I would really like that. I would really like to be in Latvia for that because summer solstice is actually my personal favorite day of the entire year because it's the longest one for us here in the Northern Hemisphere with the daylight. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I love it. Now, having never stepped foot in Europe at all myself, I'm assuming summer solstice is so meaningful for the great people of Latvia because maybe um, their summers are not necessarily long. I don't know. I'm just assuming. I am an ignorant Canadian and I've never stepped foot in your wonderful continent. So I apologize if I've offended all of Latvia, but maybe that's why it's so important to them. I don't know. But I think I can vibe with it. Like the energies make sense. Like summer solstice, you're celebrating, longest day of the year, all of these great things, feelings. I could get on board with that. But if you were to like celebrate summer solstice with a big dance party in Vancouver, I'm not sure how many people would actually be like, yeah, that's cool. Whereas if you wanted to send out those invites on July 1st, that would make a lot more sense. Anyways, the final point about Latvia, number 10 to round out this uh, interesting list. Latvians are adventurers and explorers. So back in the 17th century, Latvia, which was then the Duchy of Courland and Semigalia, was ruled by a person named Duke Jacob. And it was notably the smallest country to own colonies. The Caribbean island of Tobago, the Kunta Kinte island in the Gambia River in Africa. Latvians, although they started in that little region of the world in Eastern Europe, have managed to go all over the planet. So we say thank you, Latvians, for embracing hockey. Clearly, it's made an impact to you. Congratulations on beating Team Canada. A huge feat. They're celebrating it, like I said, as if it's the gold medal game. It might be the closest thing to get to a gold medal ever in hockey. I'm saying that honestly. But will a part of me be cheering on Team Latvia? Yeah, a very small part. There's something to admire about Team un- team un- Underdog. And uh, make no mistake, Team Latvia will almost always be Team Underdog. But now that I've given you 10 fun facts about Latvia, maybe this will make you appreciate that little country that can just a little bit more. This is The Shift Podcast. Our next guest is a good friend of mine, a colleague, and um, I'm terribly biased because he is my lead producer on The Jill Bennett Show on 980 CKNW here in Vancouver, and uh, just a very excellent human being here to talk about the representation or maybe the lack of of disabled peoples in media is the one and only Benjamin Dooley. Ben, appreciate you giving us some time here on the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me, John. It's my pleasure, my friend. And, you know, I was interested in doing this conversation, but I knew it would be a half measure if I only did this conversation by myself. Because when we talk about representation of physically disabled peoples, then the right thing to do is to get somebody who has a physical disability that can talk about this from their own perspective. So Ben, before we go any further, if you are comfortable, could you please share with us the physical disability that you have? Yeah, so so basically what it comes down to is, uh, so I was born uh, with something uh, called spina bifida. And, and what that, that basically means is that uh, when I was, when I was born, uh, a bit of my, my spine was outside of my body. So the, the doctors had to, to sew that up and, and get, uh, get everything back, back where it's, uh, supposed to be. And, uh, and so be, because of that, I'm, I'm paralyzed, uh, from the waist down. And then, so that's, that's basically in, in simple terms, uh, what, it, what it is. Right. And so you've been in a wheelchair your entire life. But uh, at this point, you know, most recently, uh, we were happy to celebrate that Ben has become a full-time employee with Chorus Entertainment with 980 CKNW. And again, as the lead producer for The Jill Bennett Show, that, again, I, I got to admit, I, I work on that show. And it's been a pleasure working with Ben. Um, I've only met you, Ben, once in person. This was months and months ago when I just kind of started. We had a social distance a meeting at a park in Vancouver Got to actually see you in person, which was great. I look forward to doing it again. But when we're having this conversation here, Ben, about representation of uh, individuals who are physically disabled in media, my first question to you then is, do you think it's enough or do you want to see more? So when I was uh, preparing for this conversation, John, I wanted to, to come here and have some names that I could throw out as as people that uh, you know, are physically disabled that uh, the, the listener might recognize. I couldn't mm -hmm. find a single one. Wow. Which to me is, it, it says right there what, what the, the problem is, you know. Uh, and I, I was looking for statistics, you know, how many physically disabled people uh, are working in media these days. And uh, the most recent statistics I could find are from uh, 15 years ago, and wow. uh, as as you're well, well aware, the the media game <laughs> changes uh, quite quite uh, quickly. Uh, but as of 15 years ago, there were only about uh, two percent of the workforce uh, in the the broadcast and media industry was uh, made up made up of, of uh, disabled people. Right, and, and that is too small of a number. Now, of course, this was 15 years ago, like you said. So we hope that the number has grown since then. But at this point, since you weren't able to find any names, Ben, it clearly shows me that we as society need to do a better job of providing that representation because it is so important for everyone to feel like they are accurately represented in media, right? And, and this is across radio, television, really anything, digital platforms, because you only can feel like you can accomplish something, like you can only have a dream, Ben, when you're young, once you believe that you can do it. And for me, like, 
I always wanted to be like growing up a, a famous hockey player, right? I think most Canadians had that dream when they were younger. And for me, that's why I connected so much with a guy like Paul Correa and, and his heritage and the fact that he looked kind of like me. And it gave me hope saying like, wow, okay, of all these famous, successful hockey players, there is an example that I can follow or at least try to follow. Obviously, I'm a terrible hockey player, so that never panned out. But I digress. Like you can only start maybe planting the seeds of a dream when you see that it's possible to accomplish because somebody might have already been the pioneer and set the uh, set the tone there for you. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, for me, uh, like you, I grew up huge sports fan. And, and I don't know if uh, you're familiar with, with this movie, uh, but it came out in, uh, I want to say, the, the early uh, to mid-2000s. It's called Murderball, uh, mm. and it follows... Uh, the U.S. Uh, wheelchair rugby uh, Paralympic team as they, uh, you know, pr- prepare for for the Paralympic Games and uh, and their, their their tournament and it, uh, you know, it it goes through the tournament, but it but it also uh, talks about you know what these these individuals you know are dealing with in uh, in a day to day basis, and so right. me being about uh, you know. Nine or ten years old when the, when that movie came out, that was incredibly influential in, in my childhood because that showed me that uh, you know what, yeah, my life is going to have its challenges, but I can also accomplish a whole heck of a lot. That's right, yeah, and I and I think the opportunity to get that. Um, that chance to show that you're capable of doing some incredible things. That's what's lacking here, right, Ben? Is that uh, maybe there is, and it could be subconscious, it could be subliminal, but there's a, a prejudice perhaps that uh, that like physically disabled people uh, can't do the job or they need extra resources to do, to do, you know, to, to get the job done. Whereas my personal experience working with Ben, again, as the producer of the Jill Bennett show, Ben, you do that job as well as anybody else. And we always have a great time on that show. Uh, you you manage to secure guests timely. You're on top of breaking news. There's nothing holding you back. So my only question is, why then don't we see enough representation in media? I don't know if we're going to have the answer here tonight in this single conversation, Ben, but it feels just perplexing that here in 2021, when we know that society is trying to make progressive moves to try and include more individuals of all different backgrounds and types, that we're not maybe being extra aware of those that are physically disabled. Yeah, and and you know what? I, I think that a lot of it is, you know, just a general reflection of where disabled people are in society. You know, it's it's very rare that you will speak to a, a disabled person who is, you know, the, the head of an organization. Uh, ju- I mean, just today, uh, I, I did have the opportunity to to book a guest for uh, the Jill Bennett show. She she's a disabled uh, woman. We we didn't book her to talk about uh, her her disability. We booked her to mm-hmm. talk about uh, you know what what she does in her day job. And I think you know telling those stories are key to to changing uh, you know the way we think about uh, di- disability because a lot of the stories that uh, 
you know, we, we hear about disabled people, it, it, it's usually, not, not always, but, but usually uh, one of two things. You're either hearing about, uh, you know, a disabled people who, a disabled person who is uh, overcoming their disability to do something that's just incredible, or mm -hmm. you're you're hearing uh, the the story about the disabled person who's down on their luck, who's just having a a really tough go of things, and those are the really the only two stories that uh, that we hear about. Uh, about disabled people, and there is just so much more uh, yeah. to to being a, a disabled person, and so I think that there there's a lot of work to be done there. Uh, I, I think you're absolutely right, and I'll admit, Ben, maybe I was a part of that problem because a few months ago, I uh, on CKNW, I, I shared a story about a, a gentleman uh, in Vancouver who is physically disabled, and he shared with me his uh, frustrations because the pandemic with reduced uh, bus. Uh, you know, uh, transit service uh, wasn't able to get around town. And, you know, my, my perspective going into that story was, here's a story that I think people need to hear because the fact that transit service is being reduced is negatively, obviously impacting certain people and more so those that are physically disabled. But to your point, we need to celebrate and, and share stories of people that are disabled, not because they're disabled, but the things that they're capable of doing um, that should just be normalized. And I have to apologize because maybe I, I took that story and as somebody who isn't physically disabled, uh, th there again was that subconscious prejudice coming through where I said, I need to shine a light on this story, but maybe I approached it the wrong way. And, and I'm sorry if I did that. Well, no, John, you know, I, I think those those stories are valid uh, and mm. those those stories have a place in society it's just there are more stories out there that that uh, can be told you know i my my one of my first introductions to to media uh as an as an interview uh, subject was a couple of years ago i uh took took the sky train uh in vancouver and i got off the sky train and the elevator was broken and so I do what I, I normally do when I, when I'm in that situation. I turn right. around and I get back on the train and I just go to the next stop. And so I did that and I got off the train and that elevator was broken too. Ugh. And so, uh, Global uh, BC, uh, one of our sister stations, uh, did a story on that because you know that that's that's pretty ridiculous that uh, right. you know two elevators are out of service at the same time and so the the CEO of TransLink the local uh, transit company here heard that story apologized to me for for um encountering that and and promised that uh, you know he would work to make sure that situations like that don't happen. And so I, I do think that, you know, stories like, like the one you brought up are important to tell because mm -hmm. they, they can enact change and they can, uh, do good to improve, uh, the life of folks with disability. But it's also important to tell stories about folks who are just living their lives and doing a pretty damn good job about it too.
Absolutely. And again, I think, Ben, maybe you don't realize it yet, but maybe you actually are that inspiration to someone listening right now and hopefully in the future uh, who, who might be with a physical disability, but are now listening and saying, wow, you know, Ben is a successful producer at, at a major news station with one of the major companies in Canada. If Ben can do it, then I can do it. And so I, I hope that you realize um, that you, you can be an inspiration as well. And, and like I said, Ben, like you're, you're one of the best producers that NW has, and, and I'm happy to call you a colleague. But my conversations with you aren't around your disability. My conversations with you are usually just about hockey or, or whatever we got cooking up on the show that day. And it's just great to know that there's someone like you who's doing such an excellent job, and we can have this conversation here tonight on the show. And and you know what, John, I, I appreciate you saying that because it it brings up a, a point for me that, that that I wanted to make. You know, mm-hmm. for, for years I I never looked at myself as a disabled person. I was just you know a guy who uses a wheelchair to get around, and I I never really identified you know as a as a disabled person, but. Over the years, I'm I'm realizing, you know, that yes, I I'm a person who has a disability, and you know, it's important for me to to tell that story because if I don't, you know, ten years from now, things are mm-hmm. just going to be exactly the same as they are now, and so so it's really opened my eyes over the the last uh, couple of years to to the importance of, of telling stories because that's the only way that, uh, you know, things are going to change. And, and it's quite obvious to me as a disabled person that they do need to change. Absolutely. I mean, that's why I think we can celebrate you, Ben, as an individual. And I'm, I know Jill's not with us right now, but uh, if she was listening, I'm sure she would absolutely agree. One of the best at what you do. We're, we're so happy and so lucky that we can call you a teammate at NW. Um, but with, with that said, final question to you, Ben. I, I want to bring this up because whenever I, I've worked in radio, and, and this is now my eighth year in this business, every single year that I've worked at a radio station of one type or another, uh, they, they come out with these surveys to all the employees that work at any company. It doesn't matter which company. And this survey is quite simple, quite short, but it asks, are you a visible minority? Do you identify as uh, a specific gender? Are you an indigenous person? I don't know, Ben, though, if I've come across such a survey that asks, are you physically disabled? And I wonder if maybe you've come across a, a questionnaire or a survey like that to identify yourself in that manner. And if not, is that something that now needs to be accounted for? Because if companies are holding themselves up to certain quotas, then in a way that we have to be all inclusive and make sure that we're, again, doing the best job possible to represent all people. You, you know, what? I, I have encountered uh, those surveys and, you know, I, I have seen, you, you know, when I, when I was applying for jobs, when I, I was just trying to get into the business, I would see a survey like that as I was filling out my job application. And I would, I, I, I'm not lying to you here, John. I would answer no to that question because I thought that, you know, if I, if I answered yes, they're, they're not going to hire me because, wow. you know, they, they could, could see that, uh, you know, there are adapt, adaptations that are going to have to be made for, 
for me and you know it's not worth not worth it uh mm. and so, so i i honestly would would answer no to that question because i just thought you know you know once once i got in the door i'd Im- impress them so much that they'd they'd forget that i was disabled and, and hire me but but if i answered yes i wouldn't be getting in that door right no i think i understand what you mean i mean to your point, I, I think it's it's a tough reality that I'm sure you're you're maybe not the only one, Ben, that that has to answer in such a way. But um, you 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 try to win them over with your job performance, and then try to convince them that hey, my disability is not a factor here. And uh, you know, I, I'm I'm sorry to hear that because uh, it, it's a situation that again can't be fixed in a single conversation. But the fact that it is happening tells us there's a problem, and we can only fix problems once we acknowledge that they actually exist. So with that in mind, Ben, I do thank you for sharing that. I, I think it's powerful. Um, and, I, and I hope that people listening here will, will be more encouraged to bring this up with employers of all different backgrounds. It doesn't have to just be media, of course, but media is where you see the representation every single night, but in other different industries and different sectors. And, and Ben, thank you so much for giving us some time and your personal perspective on this matter. Well, thank you uh, for having me, John. I'll I'll do it uh, anytime. It's the Shift Podcast. Special guest joining us on the program tonight, it's Cameron Algy, a lead instructor with Second City in Toronto, and uh, going to be talking about a, uh, a program that I think is going to be very interesting for a lot of different Canadians and certainly our Shift heads listening here tonight. Cameron, appreciate you giving us some time here on the show. Uh, great to be here, John. Thanks now, for having me. Yeah. Now, the program that uh, you're you're sort of instructing, teaching with Second City in Toronto is called Improv for Anxiety. And I think that headline already, it, it does a great job, I think, selling itself. But there's going to be some people curious, like, how does improv and comedy and all these things help out with anxiety? So take us through, first of all, some of the basic <laughs> details about this program. Um, I, w- I Honestly, I'll start with the name. <laughs> because yeah because i i do think it is helpful in getting a lot of the idea across because uh when i went through i took improv years ago to help with my anxiety or like hoping it would help with my anxiety like the improv for anxiety didn't exist yet mm-hmm. as a program but like even going through regular improv classes it it uh it helped me tremendously like it helped me uh, judge myself less and connect with other people and say yes and, and like build on acceptance and all that great stuff. Uh, but I was still in a class with, you know, actors who wanted it on their resume, maybe some people who are like, hey, I know I'm funny. Uh, like my friend Sam Funny, now's the time to show off. So it was <laughs> like a little intimidating at times being in the regular improv stream. Uh, and so to me, like one of the big benefits of improv for anxiety is, you know, why everyone else is there. <laughs> like like you just, there's this instant uh, connection of like, nobody wants to be here. <laughs> like, like, like we're all like in, in a sense of, I mean, that might be true, but uh, um, that, that everyone is like, oh, I'm pushing myself to be here. Mm. Like, I've reached a point where anxiety is like impacting my life is is affecting my life in a negative way. And I want to do something about it. And this feels like a scary 
climbing Mount Everest version of anxiety thing that I can do. Right. Uh, and so I think a lot of people take the class to really just push themselves out of their comfort zones. Um, and then it's my job not to, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it's going to happen. Like improv, improv feels scary, but actually it's, it's very playful and fun. Uh, and so I think people come in expecting like this tough love sense of, oh, this is what's truly going to push me. But I think people grow more through the like, like having fun and bringing joy into their lives and like almost putting anxiety on, on, you know, the back burner mm -hmm. uh, while, while I have fun and play. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I talked about, you know, acceptance and connecting others and all that stuff. But I think one of the things that truly helped me is uh, being silly. Like I, I hadn't laughed in a long time. And so taking, taking improv, I was like, Oh, I, it still took me a couple of classes cause it is like, I was still scared. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, eventually I was just like, Oh, I, I think I'm having fun. And I don't know if I, had booked fun into my life. Mm. I don't know if I knew fun was something that I was missing. I thought I had to like fix myself through hard work. And it's like, the only way to get better is to like beat myself until I'm better kind of thing. Uh, like beat myself up and push myself until I'm better as opposed to, oh, I actually think I got a little better just goofing around and being silly. Uh, and so, yeah, that was very transformative. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that because I think when, when people are dealing with like social anxiety and I think certainly over the past year and a bit throughout the pandemic, because yeah. we're all staying at home, working from home, whatever the situation might be, like I find situations now where I'm just walking and just, you know, taking a nice little walk around the park or whatever. And if somebody's on the same sidewalk, but they're walking towards me, like in opposite <laughs> yeah. directions, all of a sudden I'm like, do I make eye contact? Do I, do I say hello? Do I, do I just yeah. ignore them? Do I cross the street? Like yeah. we, we haven't had the practice of just saying hello and just being normal social human beings for a long time. So uh, I, I'm sure like a program like this might be a breath of fresh air for people who just want to like, have fun and break down those walls and be like, oh yeah, this is what it's like to be in conversations with people. And then what the improv part does is that it puts a group of like-minded people, right? Like no, there's no judgments in an improv session. Like yeah, you're all yeah. just there to have fun, create something, not take yourself too seriously and just get in the practice of just laughing, which is kind of hard to do these days, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And I, I honestly think, oh, I don't want to get dark, but I feel like the world was getting that way anyway, even before the pandemic. Like yeah. there's, I grew up um, anxious and I really don't think my life was that bad. I just had the ability to make it bad in my head. Hmm. Uh, but I didn't have to deal with social media. Like I didn't like, <laughs> I don't want to say like, I don't want, I don't want to make it seem like the world is worse. Uh, but I feel like, oh my God, it's it feels so much tougher to me on 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 people today the idea that there's the there's a worldwide level of perfectionism mm. uh, of like expectations like don't just compare yourselves to your classmates of what you're supposed to look like or how smart you're supposed to be but compare yourself to the world uh and the and the and people presenting the best version of themselves and so like i I think everyone just is probably getting closer to being anxious. Yeah. <laughs> like, like if they're not there already, like if the pandemic didn't break them, uh, I really feel like society was really pushing it as mm. a concept of just, uh, if, if you're not trying to be better, 
then then you're wrong then you're on the wrong path like life is meant to be do not feel like you're good enough do not love yourself as you are always be pushing always be like trying to be better and that constant pressure is just emotionally draining like it's just exhausting uh and so yeah i i feel like uh again i'll say this i didn't know that play was an option hmm. uh to like help with that uh, and so yeah I, to me the message of put like that we're putting out there with improv for anxiety is there's this whole other side like there's there's the work so like meditate therapy uh self-help do whatever you got to do that that in your head it's like okay this will help me fix what's wrong with my head but then there's this other side of hey remember to take a break remember to not take every moment and yourself as seriously as society and the world feels like it's training you to think that way yeah uh but it's like breaks like mental and emotional breaks are so important uh of just like can can we just laugh and be silly for a second and uh and to your point like it feels almost guilty to laugh and and be silly because there's so much <laughs> there's so much in society that we're like oh i'd like to adjust that and right. how can i how can who am i to enjoy life when this is happening um but it also it's gonna burn you out if you don't hmm. uh like just for just for the mental health so that you're able to fight the good fight and continue to move forward is breaks breaks are super important just yeah. like be silly, laugh and have fun. And uh, know that, know that there's tremendous value in that. Oh, hundred percent, especially with what people have been going through over the past uh, little while. And I think the points you make actually are so resoundingly true, right? Like social media, um, you know, it has its benefits. Like, you know, you can stay in contact (laughs) with people that maybe you wouldn't have earlier, but then there is like that whole, Oh, I'm going to post the meals that I'm eating the best clothes that I have. I'm going to put them on and model it for you because I can, you know, it's just like, I don't know why we got to that point in society, but somebody determined this was cool. We're going to start doing this now. And everyone else is like, okay, I guess this is it. Um, but you're right. Like nobody really signed up for it. It's just the way things have gone. And, and if that's not the the way that you perceive value in, in the way that you want to carry yourself every day, then it starts breaking you down. Like maybe you don't even realize yeah. it, but like every day, all the images and all the posts and everything, like it just starts wearing on you. And this is all happening maybe even subconsciously until at some point you just wake up and you're like, why am I so upset? Why, like what, what is making me miserable right now? And then having a program like this again, resets and hopes, uh, helps you re- refocus and, and just laugh and just take some of those burdens off and say, oh, okay, mm-hmm. you know what? I don't care if they're doing this because, you know, I get to focus on me right now. And the funny thing with improv is that I don't know if scenes are always, like, meant to be comedic in a sense, but they always <laughs> turn out that way because people have a sense of humor. And when you're sharing just, like, in the moment parts of your personality, it always seems like the humor part is, like, the first thing that kind of shines through in, 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 in people that actually do participate in improv. Well, I think it's, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's totally true. I, I just, I just, I think sometimes people take improv and they're like, oh, it's going to be like a series of jokes. Mm. Like, like you and I, if we did an improv scene, it would just be like barrage of jokes back and forth. And it's like, I can't imagine, I would crumble under that pressure. <laughs> it's like, be funny every time. Yeah, right. Uh, I think a lot of, like a lot of the laughs come from uh, surprise 
So like, oh, I did not expect you to say that. And I think we all have that ability in improv uh, to even surprise ourselves of like, where did that come from? But certainly uh, like when you say a line and someone says something that's different than what you would think, which most other people do, everyone thinks differently. Uh, there's this moment of surprise and there's a moment of surprise from the audience. Uh, and the other laughter is like this laughter of recognition, which is like, even if someone said, uh, they're like, oh, how's your week going? It's like, I haven't left my house. Uh, <laughs> that's not funny. Right. <laughs> like if anything, it's dark. But we all relate to that. Like there's all this, there's this moment of like, oh, yeah, I've been there. Uh, <laughs> or I, I am there right now. I'm trapped here. Uh, we're on quarantine uh, or whatever. But it's just like, um, so, so it's not even a matter of, oh, I, I have to be funny or I, I have to show my sense of humor. It just happens. Mm -hmm. It just happens if you're truly in the moment and just like playing back and forth. There's always moments where it just feels, it just gets silly. Yeah. Because uh, humans, I mean, all animals naturally play. Like play is in us. Um, and even if you're in like, a, I'm trying to think of a stuffy job lawyer's office right. sure uh apologies to the lawyers who are super, super <laughs> you're about to get sued right now actually <laughs> yeah. yeah i shouldn't say lawyers <laughs> accountants yeah there you go yeah, yeah i feel like that would backfire too anyway so like in an accountant's office you would think like oh they don't necessarily like to have fun but they for sure do mm -hmm. i think there are times they're just not sure if anyone else does or not sure if the boss wants them to or if they're allowed to uh and so like the idea that work takes priority and work can sometimes just get in the way of our natural ability and joy of play because uh, it's in all of us you don't even need a sense of humor it's just like this willingness to just be like we were as kids uh though i was pretty serious kid <laughs> you know it, 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 it's a good point too though because like when i i don't know I, I don't know like i'm 30 years old now right so at some point i was meeting people through all of my friends like from school and then like whatever but now as an adult it's like i only meet people that i work with right and then like i meet, <laughs> yeah. I meet their people and then like all of a sudden that's it so it's all coming through work and so to your point about like uh the expectation of having fun or being playful um it's not always there with certain individuals but the people that you maybe least expect to like i don't know have this comedic charm or this ability to uh surprise via improv those are the ones that are always like quietly the best i i, I don't know what it is it's <laughs> like I, I did a little bit of improv in high school just like you know just extracurricular stuff and we had a whole bunch of students there, many that I didn't know, but some that were just always, you know, kind of quiet, but observant and just like watching. And then finally, when it was their turn to help create a scene or something, they would have the most brilliant things that you could not have ever <laughs> expected to come from them. So those people that might be like identifying as like um, introverted or quiet or shy, like this is an excellent program, even if like anxiety is maybe not the word that might define you. Um, yeah. it, it's a great program to help maybe break out of your shell and build some of that self-confidence because then you realize these people are capable of like doing so much and like they, they have great things going on in their head like we need to hear from you more and so it, it encourages you through like that active participation um that everyone has like little gold nuggets in their head <laughs> yeah and i think some people are like plan a bit and other people other people it, it's like for me, I I feel like I'm at my funniest when it's effortless. Mm -hmm. Like like 
uh, I am just like a vessel for the comedy gods or like like ideas. I just they feel it feels like they're flowing as opposed to me genuinely thinking what's something funny to say in response to this. Uh, and so the the push for effortlessness is also like a big part of improv of this. This doesn't need to be a struggle. This doesn't need to be hard work. Um, I think about the. Uh, what is it? Introvert? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember in school. So I took um, French immersion, which is a big thing. Yeah. In Canada, I guess. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so half the day I was with the same group of people or like the full day, depending on which grade you're in. Uh, but I got very comfortable and felt safe with this one group. And I was the class clown and I, I was just like joking and everyone's laughing. I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is great. The second half of the day, I was n I didn't feel as safe and comfortable. I was silent. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Like I didn't say anything. I had no quips. Uh, and maybe I thought them, but I wouldn't dare say them. Uh, and so it's interesting for me when I always hear like introvert and extrovert. It's like, oh, I relate to both. It was just the context. Yeah. If I'm around my friends and I feel safe and comfortable, uh, I can be very uh, charming and funny. Uh, if I'm around new people, I am just shy and silent. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that's another big part of the class is just building this sense of uh, safety and a sense of like, oh, it's so it's okay to fail here. It's okay to like try things. It's okay to be silly because um, yeah, it, sometimes it feels like it's certainly a you know, depending on where you work, uh, it can feel like you're not allowed to goof around. You're not allowed to fail. Right. And so if you're in that environment, it's hard not to become an introvert in a sense of, I don't feel like I'm allowed to be silly. So I'm shutting that part of me down and I'm just like putting on my headphones and just yeah. getting and, to work. And repressing that part of you can be so unhealthy, right? Like it, mm -hmm. it's not just uh, the, the mental aspect, but like at some point, maybe you didn't feels physical, like just it's hard to get out of bed. Um, it's hard yeah. to fall asleep. Even when I do fall asleep, I toss and turn. And you might not even realize like, why, why is this happening to me? Is it my mattress? Is it my pillow? I don't know what it is. <laughs> but like deep inside, maybe it's like that stress of just not being able to laugh at yourself and then like laugh at the, all the situations that you find yourself in because as human beings, it's so unpredictable. So why can't we have a little bit of fun with it every day? Now, of course, like there's certain situations where you can't be laughing and joking. Like we know that. Like there's a place, a time and, you know, all these things. <laughs> yeah. But for the most part, like human beings are meant to laugh or at least meant to smile. Mm -hmm. As they say, laughter is the best medicine. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's somewhat true, right? Like in this context, it's actually true. And the to like... To play off the physical thing, I, I I didn't know I had anxiety for a long time. I thought I had a like vomiting diarrhea mm. problem. Like like I went to physical doctors first uh, because I didn't realize. I think it's more common to know this now. <laughs> I was in my teens. I'm old now. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, uh, like the body, mind, or like the the idea that your mind affects you physically. I don't know if was as known. And so my anxiety and depression stuff was like I was I was throwing up a lot. I was coughing all the time. Uh, like, yeah, I was like night sweats, whatever it was. And I thought, oh, I these are physical symptoms. I have physical problems hmm. uh, and doctors couldn't find anything. Uh, and then I remember my uh, my general GP. 
I don't know, uh, a family doctor saying, yeah. uh, saying, oh, have you thought maybe it's psychological? <laughs> I was so insulted. We're in conversation with Cameron Algie, lead instructor at Second City in Toronto with their program Improv for Anxiety. And Cameron, before the break, you were just talking about how before you got into improv, you were physically deteriorating um, because all these really important human elements in life, happiness, laughter, fun, they were being repressed. And it was actually impacting how you were waking up and feeling each and every day. And it makes me think of that saying, and we've heard it a million times over, laughter is the best medicine. But in this context, clearly, it's absolutely true for you. I thought I had physical problems. And laughing started to alleviate my physical stuff. Like, so it helped me mentally, but yeah, I was physically struggling from my mental state too. And that was so very nice and freeing to have, (laughs) to have less of, uh, to be able to leave the house without throwing up. I was like, this is great. More of of this, please. (laughs) Sign me up, right? I'll take more of that. I mean, because it is like, you know, it's a huge burden off your shoulders once you realize like, okay, I've identified the issue. Now I can tackle it. Now I know what I need to do. I need to laugh. I need to create situations where laughing is acceptable. It's encouraged. And and now, you know, look where you are. You're one of the lead instructors for a program like this. And so clearly, like, you know, you've gone a long way. And so I'm curious, Cameron, like when you do these programs, day one to like the very final um, lesson that you have for this program, how joyful is it for you to see like the growth and in the individuals that have chosen to become a part of this? And then you see like, there was me not that long ago. Um, now I can see it in their eyes or I can see it in their actions. Like that burden is gone or it's disappearing at least. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I should say, I don't know if people be anxiety free in seven weeks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But, but I will also, I, I mean, I also don't want that to seem like a bad thing because, uh, to me, the hating of anxiety or thinking anxiety is something that needs to be like fixed or go away can be part of the problem. Mm. Like anxiety is just like a human emotion, like uh, fear and joy. And, uh, and so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, from from day one when i like walk in the class or like uh, uh go on into the zoom seeing through my lens i'm already shocked that people are there uh <laughs> like i like, i know i know people can sign up but there's a big difference between signing up and actually showing up right right uh and so i think i actually think online is helping a bit with that because like the trip would feel like a lot for me like like the travel to Second City or yeah. wherever I was studying was just like, oh, uh, I would feel it all the way there. Not like I didn't feel it before, like weeks before anyway. Um, but I know how much emotionally it takes to get to that first class. And so, yeah, when people come to class, I'm just already impressed. I'm already in awe of the courage because that's that's the scariest part is getting there. Mm-hmm. Because once you've taken a class and you look back and you're like, oh, we just had fun and we laughed and actually it wasn't as bad. <laughs> like I think one of our most common like testimonials was, wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I was like, I guess that's glowing praise. Right. Uh, but like, yeah, we're as anxious people, we're imagining the worst. Uh, and it's not that, <laughs> not to brag, but the class isn't the worst. Awesome. Uh, yeah, that, that right there is the golden star review, right? <laughs> Just that that's the pull quote. <laughs> um, 
Uh, but yeah, like the fact that people are there and then just the idea of like, let's celebrate that we're here. Let's, you know, talk. Uh, I generally like to get the class started pretty quickly. I don't do too much of a preamble. I'd, I'd rather get like people moving physically because mm -hmm. our bodies like hold anxiety and we're just like, uh, I remember my first class, It, uh, I was exhausted when I arrived, like it hadn't even started and I was just drained because I'd been dreading it for months. <laughs> and so I was just like, I was already sweaty and tired and didn't sleep the night before and probably just had diarrhea in the bathroom. So I was like, can we just get this over with uh, kind of mentality? And so I <laughs> maybe teach like that off the top of it, which is like, let's get up and moving. Let's get into a state of play because our bodies right now, I'm sure are probably feeling mm. tension and stress and anxiety. So let's Let's see if we can alleviate some of that, just moving around a bit and get into our bodies and out of our minds and stuff like that. <laughs> Let's get out of our minds. Man. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, but over but over the course of the seven weeks, you can really see because like I don't should I say should I say this? <laughs> I don't want second city to get mad at me, but whatever. Uh, I don't care if they become performers or not. I don't mm. need people to become improvisers. I hope they know that uh, I don't need people to become improvisers. Uh, this is about you know, helping people, as you say, walk down the street and be able to make eye contact or not feel overwhelmed uh, by life in general, mm. uh, let alone get up on a stage and make up jokes. Like that's not the end goal or what I'm looking for over the seven weeks or like over however long they take improv. But I can start to see how having joy, having joy even for like three hours a week or, or like even just booking an hour of joy into your life each week can be transformative. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, as people get more comfortable with each other, they start to come out of their shells more. Uh, but it, I do, I don't necessarily see my students in the streets, uh, but they have expressed to me, it's like, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I bring this into work. I bring this into like, I'm now able to do this or I wasn't able to do this before. Uh, but for me, I can definitely see, like improv became my life. That was never my intention. Mm. Uh, uh, and some people continue on and like improv becomes a big thing for other people are just like improv was the launch pad for me to get into dance or get into art. Uh, but it gave me the courage to be creative and be myself and be and know that I'm allowed to be fun and weird and silly and not judge myself as much. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's one of the tremendous joys I get out of the class is not just not just introducing people to play, which is very fun, <laughs> uh, but uh, seeing how it seeing how it affects them. Yeah, um, because I, I really think it would help anyone. It will help any any adult right now. I feel like I could probably introduce more play in their lives because just work takes precedent. Work yeah. just ends up taking the priority, and it ends up becoming almost a hundred percent of your time is like make money or like work on my mental health or work on the side business or whatever it is. Um, it's hard to just around. Kind yeah. Of thing, so, yeah. I, well, I do think that it's such a beneficial program for so many of our listeners. I think we've tried and tackled the issues of like telling yourself, um, or rather asking yourself like, am I okay? And it's okay to not be okay. So yeah. if, if we can admit to ourselves that we're not okay, then I think step two would be, how do we get to that point again? And programs like this, I think offer one way into that. It's that uh, yeah. just realizing, okay, 
there's something wrong here. I can identify the issue. I need laughter. I need joy. I need to have fun. <laughs> and I think that's partly where this program, I think, benefits a lot of people. Now, I guess um, in, in times past, Cameron, this would be specific to people living in Toronto because it's an in-person class. But now that it is online, I guess anyone, yeah. if, you know, as long as they have a computer internet connection, they can register and sign up and, and be a part yep. of this. Yeah. Yeah. Been teaching people uh, Australia, Mexico. <laughs> I don't know why I said those two. Those aren't the furthest distance. <laughs> uh, they are pretty far. I'll give you that. <laughs> they're they're far apart from each other. But yeah. I was like, I guess, <laughs> I guess with like Toronto, like Toronto, Chicago, and LA are like the second city plan yeah. locations. But yeah, as you say, it's just open up to anyone and everyone. And so even people who were in Chicago before, like, oh, I, you know, I didn't necessarily travel to Toronto. So it's nice to, for us, even, even though we have access to a second city, it was nice to us to have access to this course. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah, now it's, it's, it's opened up to the, the world. And so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's helping, hopefully it's helping the world. It's going to help the world uh, in a, enjoy, get to a state of peace and calm. And and uh, uh, I, I'm I'm lost in a ramble here, but I, I'm trying to think of like the idea of um, that that life can be something that we enjoy mm. as opposed to just like suffer through. Which is, I think I lived life as something to just suffer through and just get through the day, and it had never occurred to me that this is something that could be enjoyed because um, it was just like you just work. Uh, you just do the work and then you die kind of kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I, I really feel like the message of life can be enjoyed. This can be fun. Today could be fun is uh, is something that almost seems uh, out of practice or unheard of uh, by today's standards. It's just like work, 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 work. Anyway. It's time to get, you know, just add a little bit more fun and a little bit of fun can change your life i think honestly yeah. that's that's the biggest takeaway here uh he yeah. is cameron algae lead instructor you can check out his work with second city toronto online at secondcity.com cameron appreciate you giving us some time here on the show and uh hope the best for you and the students uh, just let them know it's not the worst and already you're winning <laughs> uh, thanks for having me perfect <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.